Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Series XM Progress After Dark. Thea Harper is our executive producer tonight and a ruthless boss. She is running this thing from Brooklyn. Our good friend Robbie is helping us tonight on the boards. Thank you, Robbie, for classing up all the joint of classing up the joint with your particular panache and grace. And uh, my name's John. I'm really happy to be here with you. Thank you to Nayira Hawk for filling in last night. We hope you enjoyed last night's double-barreled, double feature of our Ken Burns interviews for his last couple of movies. He came here for Muhammad Ali. He came here for the Ben Franklin film. So we thought it'd be fun to play those again to get everybody ready for the big town hall with Ken Burns that's going to premiere right here on SiriusXM Progress on this show tomorrow night. Now, it's going to replay a lot. And it should, because it's for a very, very important project. Ken Burns' new movie is all about the U.S. and the Holocaust. And it is the first film of its kind, viewing the Holocaust from a perspective of America. How America didn't see it coming, how America did see it coming, what America did, what America didn't do, what Franklin Roosevelt did, what he didn't get credit for doing, and where we could have done more. But it goes deeper. It goes into how the Nazis drew inspiration for many of their policies from the ways Americans had treated minorities within their midst, be it the First Nations people who were ethnically cleansed from these lands, be it the African-Americans who were brought here as slave labor. Nazis were big fans of that, by the way. And of course, the apartheid in America of Jim Crow that was particularly inspiring to uh, Adolf. It's look, it's a tremendous film and I love Ken Burns movies. I've seen a whole bunch of them and I'll tell you, I had a friend staying with us from Philly, and she decided to watch it with us. And um, we're watching the scenes of Charles Lindbergh just explain how everyone's got Hitler all wrong in this country, listening to tapes of Father Charles Coughlin on the radio, talking about the Jews, 
talking about the menace, talking about the lack of cohesion in America. We can't let these refugees in. We can't let these refugees in. What will happen to our national identity? And my friend from Philly just goes, oh, my God, it's everything that's going on right now. It's an amazing film. It, it might be Ken Burns' best. He, he said it's the most important film he's ever going to make. That premieres this coming weekend. You'll be able to watch it in three parts on PBS or view it on the PBS Viewer app or see it at pbs.org. But you really don't want to miss this conversation with uh, Ken Burns. It's just terrific. Also coming up, we taped a conversation with our friend Julian Lennon, and it's fantastic. His new album is gorgeous. You know, an artist you like put out a new record and you're always a little nervous like oh ooh, is, is you know yeah they want to do the show but is it is it a crap album and i've got to be fake no worries there it's unlike anything julian's ever done it really has a an ethereal electronica feel to it it's just a terrific record it's called jude which is a reference to a certain song paul mccartney wrote for him as a little boy and uh that's a blast as well so we got a lot of good stuff coming up let's do a show just a day before rail workers plan to strike companies and labor unions reached an agreement. This would have been a strike that really would have hurt American business. This really would have hurt the supply chain. This would have kept food off the shelves. Let's hope it is a victory for labor. But that's not the story we get to lead with. On Wednesday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, by the way, I just want to clear it up. Don't confuse it. There, There is a governor named Ron DeSantis, this doughy right-wing mediocrity. And there's a drag queen named Rhonda Santis. Please don't mix Rhonda with Rhonda. But Florida Governor Ron DeSantis claimed responsibility for shipping two plane loads of asylum seekers from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. Now, those of you who don't know, Martha's Vineyard is this little island south of Cape Cod. It is rather progressive. It is rather wealthy. It's a big vacationing spot. Barack Obama has a place there. On these planes were uh, about 50 migrants, some of them children, most of them from Venezuela. And they were immediately welcomed into all the restaurants that turn away Alan Dershowitz. But this has been this year's playbook for these Confederate trolls with governor's pins who have no solutions and who want to be more popular with the mean racist people who already like them, like Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona. For months, for months, these people have been busing thousands of migrants and asylum seekers from their border states to Washington, D.C., New York and Chicago, because those cities are all run by Democratic mayors doesn't solve a problem and uh, it doesn't help anyone but hey they're not trying to solve a problem they're trying to make shitty white people think they're strong so abbott claimed responsibility for sending two busloads of migrants and asylum seekers to vice president kamala harris's home in dc and it's all a stunt of course they're trying to argue these Democrats and Joe Biden, they're, they're not doing anything about the, the high number of people crossing the U.S.-Mexico border, seeking asylum. And so this is a liberal problem. Most of these states, as you know, have Republican leaders. 7,000 migrants have been shipped from Texas to D.C. Uh, the New York City mayor said the city system here is nearing its breaking point. New York City has now cared for 11,000 migrants. Martha's Vineyard officials said they, they had no idea. This plane just dropped these brown people off and they were very confused by the migrants arrival if this sounds familiar this little practice it's because it's not new once upon a time uh the southern white citizens council started something they called reverse freedom rides 
they did this to uh, give black people one-way tickets to northern cities. How did they do it? They lied to them and said, hey, there's a job waiting for you. Here's a, they promised housing. They promised a better quality of life. Here's the ticket. Go ahead. And they did it not to solve any problems, not because there was housing or jobs waiting for African-Americans, not. They did it to humiliate non-white people and to embarrass Northern liberals. This revolting dehumanization of our suffering brothers and sisters on the part of Republicans. But you know what? That's, that's not really fair because it's also cruel to the citizens of Florida when you consider the taxpayer money that was used for this little stunt that, again, solved no problems, helped nobody. Ron DeSantis told Fox News, these two, of course he did. Somehow Fox News was able to catch up with Ron. It's not hard to catch up with Ron. He's not really a very athletic man. They caught up with him as this is part of his program that sent illegal migrants to progressive states to protest. Protest what? Joe Biden's liberal immigration policies? Uh, We'll get to that in a second. Here's a clip of Governor Smugly boasting about how mean he was to these brown people and those liberal people who know how to use apostrophes correctly. Bunch of things. But yes, if you have folks that are inclined to think Florida is a good place, our message to them is we are not a sanctuary state and it's better to be able to go to a sanctuary jurisdiction. And yes, we will help facilitate that transport for you to be able to go to greener pastures. Now, the worst part about that clip is we're just radio. You can't see the image. But the folks surrounding Ron DeSantis uh, were whiter than an albino mime troop with anemia. It seems strange, right? These people are scared. These people are hungry. These people have small children. So let's treat them like shit because they're immigrants. It's almost like the cruelty is the point. The John F. Kennedy Library was the one that put out an article earlier today using this ugly 1960s era southern busing of black families north because they wanted to protest desegregation in schools. Here's an actual quote from a newspaper the JFK library sent. A Negro couple and their eight children were placed on a Trenton-bound bus to Shreveport, Louisiana this morning by the White Citizens Council of Louisiana. Just get rid of them. And they did this with Irish immigrants centuries ago. Now, the governor's office put out a really weird statement And I want to share it with you because it just goes to show not just that they're liars, but that they're terrible liars. I quote, states like Massachusetts, New York and California will better facilitate the care of these individuals who they have invited into our country by incentivizing illegal immigration through their designation as sanctuary states and support for the Biden administration's open border policies. That was one sentence. I counted four lies. How did you do? Let's see. Um, Better facilitate the care of these individuals. That's probably true. Massachusetts, New York, and California will probably take better care of them. Uh, Who they have invited into our country. No, that's not true. I pretty much recall Kamala Harris saying, don't come. Incentivizing illegal immigration. I don't know who's done that, but hang on to that term for a second. Uh, Sanctuary states and support for the Biden administration's open border policies. Now, obviously, open border policies is not just a lie, it's a tired dragon lie, and it's designed to, well, make stupid people happy. There are no open border policies in this country. The last politician on the national level to talk about open borders was named Ronald Reagan. And he praised open borders because to him it meant, you come over here when the work is ready and when the work is done, you go back home. But 
they're saying they're incentivizing illegal immigration, incentivizing illegal immigration. No, sanctuary cities are not incentivizing illegal immigration. You know what does that? White people like Donald Trump handing out jobs to undocumented workers is incentivizing illegal immigration. A capitalist system based on cronyism that is built on trickle-down economics that requires a low-wage workforce to be paid below a living wage is what incentivizes illegal immigration. The gigantic neon help-wanted sign put up by white people who don't want to pay American workers a living wage at our border incentivizes illegal immigration. And it's also why undocumented immigration is never, ever, 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 ever going to stop. Every one of these politicians who talks about illegals they don't want to do anything about it. It's supply and demand, right? So what about all these white people offering all the jobs? It seems pretty simple. Start locking up these Americans who are dangling all these jobs and incentivizing all these border crossings. I mean, it would clear it up, right? You start locking up Caucasians for hiring undocumented people. And trust me, in two months, the border will be as empty as a Kid Rock concert at an Ivy League university. Just just do it. But they won't because they can't because they need undocumented immigration or as they like to call them illegals. Republicans need illegals for two reasons. One because they need a low-wage workforce. They don't want to pay a living wage to all Americans. And two, they have nothing to offer hard-working white people except umbrage and things that appease racist fears. And that's it. That's it. They don't care about illegal immigration, and they proved it again today. You know what incentivizes illegal immigration also? Uh, showing them if they cross the border, Ron DeSantis might use taxpayer money to give you a free airplane trip to celebrity paradise Martha's Vineyard. You idiots. Now, by now you might be wondering, wait a second, Venezuela, I, I spent a long time since geography, but looking at a map, uh, how did migrants get into Florida? Did they, did they swim? Florida's a peninsula. The answer is, Ron DeSantis sent zero migrants from Florida. They never made it there. He used money for Floridians to fly them out of Texas. New York Times reported the migrants themselves said they had began the day in San Antonio, Texas. Ronnie had to go to Texas to get them. In other words, I think he crossed state lines to commit human trafficking, which might be the worst thing they've done until tomorrow. Florida doesn't have a border with any other countries. So let's just get comfortable with this narrative that Rhonda trafficked migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. And by the way, this is a Republican Party that refuses to support any immigration reform that might help these people, that might help these states. Now, of course, <laughs> these people are coming here because of the economic instability and violence from our drug war in many South and Central American countries. And most of these people who've been trying to come into the country this summer were from Mexico because their economy's not doing that great, but there've been a lot of Cubans and Colombians looking for asylum. Remember last year, the Haitian migrants on the Texas border? Uh, Biden's envoy quit over the administration's policy of flying those people right back to Haiti. That's Title 42. Biden's tried to end it, but the courts have continued it. Lately, uh, a majority of the migrants crossing the border have been Venezuelans fleeing Venezuela, a country Republicans like to demonize. So they'll go after Venezuela as a socialist hellhole, and they'll go after all those evil people fleeing the socialist hellhole. These folks are trying to get caught and ask for asylum. 
It can take a, a long time. But see, because this whole story involves petulant tick Ron DeSantis, lies and fuckery abound. These are not illegal immigrants. That's one of the biggest lies. They are asylum seekers. They will get asylum. But even more than that, and we got to start reframing it, they're Christian refugees, okay? They're not illegals. They're Christian refugees at our southern border. Another lie, they keep saying, we're taking care of these people. You other states need to share the burden. But they do. Because ICE is paid for by all U.S. taxpayers. We're actually paying in non-border states for ICE services and Border Patrol in the border states. They're using our money. And let's not forget, uh, so far this fiscal year up to last month, 1.8 million arrests or captures reported at the border. So there are no open borders. Biden's turning them away. Other states already share the burden. These are not illegal immigrants. And also, let's talk about the worst lie. What did they tell these people to get them onto the plane? Well, that's where it gets very interesting. Because one of them told the Vineyard Gazette they were promised there'd be work and housing when they arrived. In fact, the migrants all realized they'd been lied to. This was fraud. Someone committed fraud on these deeply poor confused people for a political scheme because they're running for president. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar of Texas said DeSantis has taken it to a new low, lying to people in the way that he's lied to them. It really says a whole lot more than that about what a soulless human being he is. You know, the people who frequently like to have scripture on the lips and hate in their heart. He reminds me of them. Again, they crossed the border into Texas. They got on a plane in San Antonio. DeSantis is using money for Florida taxpayers okay by Florida lawmakers, to fly them to Massachusetts. That's not just controversial. That's not just dishonest and shitty. That's not just possibly illegal human trafficking. It's also pretty expensive, to the tune of $12 million. Ron DeSantis is spending $12 taxpayer dollars to fly migrants from Florida to Martha's Vineyard for his little presidential stunt. And this has been confirmed. DeSantis' communication director confirmed that Florida's legislature approved the use of $12 million to, quote, transport illegal immigrants to sanctuary destinations in line with federal law. It's, it's all confirmed. This is your money, Florida. And again, these migrants weren't in your state. Ron DeSantis wants to be president so bad. He's going to take your money and use it to fly migrants from Texas to Massachusetts just to be mean. Where'd the money come from? Is it taxpayer money? Oh, it's better. It's better. See, the $12 million is taken from Florida's share of the Coronavirus State Fiscal Recovery Fund, appropriated to the Florida Department of Transportation. The Coronavirus State Fiscal Recovery Fund is part of Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan last year, which Ron DeSantis and the rest of the Republicans opposed. There is no bottom. Nikki Freed, friend of this show, Agricultural Commissioner of Florida, tweeted, just got off the phone with the White House. I'm asking the Justice Department to investigate Ron DeSantis' political human trafficking. Again, these governors are lying to migrant families to traffic them out of state on taxpayers' dime to help themselves politically to get votes from shitty people. And all these migrants want is what you want, what every human wants, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. My question is, if you were... In Latin America, Ron DeSantis, if you were in Mexico, if you wanted a better life for your kids, would you love your children enough to risk the border crossing for a better life? 
Now, really quick, on the subject of Christianity and Republicans, when has this Republican Party ever helped people in need? When have they ever put, in your lifetime, non-millionaires above the rich? They like to boast of their Christian piety. Let's look at the Bible. Leviticus 1933, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy, let them live among you wherever they like and in whatever town they choose. Do not oppress them. Well, that's Old Testament, Johnny. What about Jesus? Glad you asked. Jesus said in Matthew 25, my personal favorite Bible story, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. I love, I love that evangelical Republicans are finally dropping the Christian act, turning away Christian refugees who are being now welcomed and cared for by liberal blue states that the Republicans like to call godless. This is a story, friends, about how bad evangelicals are at doing Christianity, because these people are looking for a room at the inn, if you will. And you know who took them in? The folks in Martha's Vineyard. Unlike the Bible-thumping DeSantis, officials and volunteers from the island's six towns uh, really, quote, moved heaven and earth to essentially set up the response that we would do in the event of a hurricane. These migrants all got COVID-19 tests today. They were all given food. They were all given clothing by this rich liberal enclave. A lot of confusion on the ground, but one of the migrants, who has to be identified only as Lionel, said in in Espanol that the people of Martha's Vineyard were generous, that he had never seen anything like it. They gave him a pair of shoes, and he said, I haven't slept well in three months. He has no relatives or friends in the U.S. He said, it's been three months since I put on a new pair of pants or shoes. Here's Corrine Jean-Pierre, earlier today in the White House press briefing room, saying it better than I ever could. The fact that the, that Fox News and not the Department of Homeland Security, the city or local NGOs were alerted about a plan to leave migrants, including children, on the side of a busy D.C. street makes clear that this is just a cruel, premeditated political stunt. This is what they are doing. And a couple more things. The migrants, including children who arrived in Martha's Vineyard were misled about where they were being taken and what would be provided when they arrived is also deeply alarming. The children Governor Abbott abandoned in Martha's Vineyard, the children that the, that, um, that Governor DeSantis abandoned uh, as well, um, you know, deserve better. They deserve better than being left on the streets of D.C or being left in Martha's Vineyard. They deserve deserve a lot better than that. And as we have done many times in response to attempts to create chaos and confusion by Republican governors, we are working to manage the, the consequences of these two stunts. Thank you, Corrine Jean-Pierre. So, so in closing, how do, you, how do you frame this? Here you go. Christians are fleeing Venezuelan socialist oppression because they want freedom. Democrats, it's right there. DeSantis is a moron. You can use this. Ron DeSantis' open border policy encourages illegal immigration by promising migrants free plane trips to Martha's Vineyard. Here's another thing, Democrats. How about how about try this? Flip it right back on him. How about governors in all the states that get sent migrants? Why don't you send convicted gun crime criminals who've served their sentences to more gun-friendly states like Texas? And of course, it's illegal. So why not have the DOJ investigate? I leave you with this thought, Therens, from the book of Malachi in the Bible, for those who believe. 
so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Sorry, Ron DeSantis, but it appears God can't stand you. I didn't write it. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we return, what a show we have planned for you tonight. Professor Corey Brettschneider is going to join us to talk about, well, all the legal fuckery going on in our country right now. Journalist Sarah Posner is with us later in the show to talk about her amazing piece in The Nation about how the right-wing evangelical movement got so evil. Spoiler alert, you probably know it started in the 70s. Quick break. We'll be right back. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John saying So good to have you with us again. Time now to talk with Professor Corey Brettschneider of the Political Science Department at Brown University. You may have read Corey's stuff in the New York Times, Time Magazine, or Politico. You really need to buy his book, The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. It's like a civic lesson for your soul. Also get his new Penguin Liberty Series books on free speech. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases and impeachment. What a great pleasure to welcome Professor Brett Schneider back to our show. Hi. Okay. Did I miss some action? You missed a lot. It was really exciting yeah. over here. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. It's okay. good to talk to you, Professor. Thank you. I, I, yes. I have to begin by by asking. First off, how are you doing? Everyone's doing okay. Yeah, all 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 doing well and uh, enjoying the city coming back and um, uh, the weather and uh, yeah, I think we're we're coming out of this. Uh, dark period of COVID, and, and I know it's not over, over, but uh, I feel like things are on the upswing. Well, just remember, if things ever get rough, you can sneak across the border into the state of Texas, and another <laughs> governor from another state will have his taxpayers give you a free plane trip to Martha's Vineyard. So uh, there's always nice that option, guy. too. Yeah. Any thoughts? Any thoughts on this? I mean, DeSantis, we were just doing a, a bit on this. He's using $11 million of COVID relief funds which he had opposed in the first place, which his state then transferred to the Florida Department of Transportation. And they're using this money to fly these migrants again, not from Florida. I just it turns out, you know, Florida doesn't share a border with another country. He's actually using it merely as a political stunt. Yeah, I mean, you know, usually our conversations focus on politics and and law. And there, there is a legal question here about whether or not. Um, he violated any federal statutes about trafficking. And I saw the U.S. attorney 
Massachusetts is going to be looking into this. But I, I guess I just have to say about this story that there are moments where craven politics, the immorality of people, and in this case, disregarding the minors who were part of this uh, series of antics by not even notifying the authorities in Martha's Vineyard that this was happening. It's just somebody who couldn't give a shit about children. And the idea exactly. that somebody who is that uh, craven, I think is the word, that selfish, that um, sociopathic when it comes to the rights of the neediest people. Uh, children, after all, who have been crossing borders and, and truly been engaged in suffering, when all that you see is the ability to score political points, that says to me, uh, you know, this isn't somebody who uh, you should allow to babysit your child, much less huh. somebody who should be uh, running a state. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's Trumpism. Uh, I wouldn't say this is, you know, any worse than something that Trump would do. I think that's something he'd get a kick out of. It's his kind of humor. But it is a frightening suggestion that the the fascistic tendencies of, of Trumpism are, are going to live on. And, and this guy is definitely running for uh, inheritor of that, that throne. Yeah, it actually, you know, I read so many articles today about, uh, you know, bringing us back to the 1960s and the era of the reverse freedom rides, which is something I haven't heard about in a long time, but it was very, very common. The the White Citizens Council would put brown people on buses and ship them north to protest desegregation in schools. The John F. Kennedy Library was uh, posting articles earlier today of mm. how common this used to be and just reported in the news. I'm looking at a headline right now, uh, Negro Family on Way Here, about how the headline, a Negro couple and their eight children were placed on a Trenton-bound bus in Shreveport, Louisiana this morning by the White Citizens Council of Louisiana. The, the, they, they were called the first reverse freedom riders. There's nothing new about this, Corey, is there? Yeah, I think, you know, Trumpism has its roots in, in different moments in American history. And um, I think anti-communism is, is one strand. And of course, that, that kind of paranoid anti-communism often was combined with a vicious form of racism. And the vitriol, I think, that you see in the resistance to efforts to integrate the country, uh, we're seeing again at, at the core of Trumpism. And, you know, how could somebody uh, treat a child like this? Well, if you look back at the 1950s, the images of integration, those, of course, were children in Little Rock and Topeka, Kansas, that were being jeered, that were having things thrown at them by adults. And, uh, you know, you're, you're having it again. And I do think a, a way to understand this governor is not just that he's trying to inherit the mantle of Trump, but that he's trying to take on this sort of rhetoric and and clownish humor, supposed humor of, of people like uh, Wallace and other Southern segregationist governors. And, uh, you know, he's he's playing that role uh, yeah. up as much as possible. The question, I guess, is, is pandering to voters who really like to see poor brown people treated this way enough to help one win the Electoral College? That seems to be the only question. Well, um, you know, you have to you don't have to win a majority of the country. As you well know, you have to win certain states. Exactly. And unfortunately, you know, there there are states where where this works. And one thing, you know, in American history is often you had I have a, a great colleague, brilliant colleague, James Marone, who, who maybe should be on the show at some point, who, who charts the sort of history of political parties and bigotry. And one of his really interesting points is that you often had 
a division between those parties that were opposing uh, immigration and those who were basically opposing black people in the United States. So early in American history, you have the Federalists who are, you know, not pro-slavery, but are certainly anti-immigrant. And then you have a Democratic Party early on that's very, uh, very much uh, uh, anti-black party, pro-slavery party. Yeah. The point is that at this point in American history, what Republicans have done, what DeSantis has done is combine bigotry against black people with the powerful images of, of opposing immigrants' rights, too. And that's what's scary, I think, about DeSantis, that it's sort of worse in a lot of ways than the bigotry of the 50s, because it has a, a specific anti-immigrant edge to yeah. it as well that that you know has elements of anti-communism but but so yeah i think i think it's got elements of all these things but in some ways is, is more combustible and, and more vicious yeah especially because it's happening 60 years after the u.s civil rights act <laughs> yeah but, hey when it works you know uh, yeah. Can I can I can I shift from uh, from sure. from something that's uh, immoral and stupid and debased to <laughs> something uh, a bit lighter like uh, Donald Trump? Because yeah. New York uh, U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon, <laughs> come on down, has <laughs> rejected the Justice Department's demand to let the federal prosecutors keep on reviewing the records that Donald Trump illegally stole and they had to get back from Mar-a-Lago after Trump took them and lied and said he'd return them. Uh, and she also just appointed Raymond Deary, senior judge in the Eastern, Eastern District of New York, to lead uh, the independent review of the seized materials. So, Corey, we have our special master. Yep. I would say, you know, DOJ gave her a way out here. That's what they, I think they were meant to do. She had this completely embarrassing opinion where she ignored precedent after precedent that made it clear that there is no absolute executive privilege uh, for even sitting presidents and certainly not for former presidents. And she blew the, you know, just roof off legal academia, jurists around the country by by seeming to indicate that Trump had a good case here when he has nothing of the sort. And, you know, the the stopping, which is essentially what she did of the criminal investigation, just was without any legal basis. So yeah. uh, they came and I think they did something that I thought was going to you know, possibly work. It seemed like a great strategy, which is to say, OK, you can stop most of our investigation, but let us look at the, you know, the documents that are marked top secret and right. um, that are classified. And that was a way out for her. And she doubles down. She, she doubles um, down. insists on this special master request being met, even though I have no idea what the purpose of this is, that uh, the Department of Justice is, can be trusted to look at classified information and to conduct a normal investigation. And um, she just completely ignores the idea that at least on those issues, of course, there's a reason to criminally investigate stolen classified documents. And, um, you know, she, she's a shameless Trump appointee. It's exactly it. what it looks like. That's this it. isn't really a judge. And, this is what, uh, it, you know, this yeah. will be appealed and she'll lose and she'll have egg on her face, thankfully. And now, I, I don't know about you know, that. You think she'll, no, I mean, we'll I mean egg on her face in the eyes of the law and the eyes of history, but she only cares about the eyes of the Federalist Society. I mean, this is all just about yeah. eventually getting a Supreme Court nomination a decade or two down the road. And 
she's proving herself a good soldier. I mean, the just the, the DOJ asked, hey, can you stay your previous motion so we can keep on reviewing these documents that he wasn't supposed to have that are top secret, that he never declassified, that he doesn't have any kind of executive control over because he's no longer an executive. And she turned him down. She's saying, nope, I'm not going to I'm not going to accept all of your assertions without a special master reviewing it first. Let me quote the judge and I'll tell you the word that stands out for me. The court does not find it appropriate to accept the government's conclusions on these important and disputed issues without further review by a neutral third party in an expedited and orderly fashion. Corey, I understand this is just a desperate, craven attempt for Trump to hit a snooze alarm and buy a little time (laughs) because this special master will never impact the final results of this investigation. But disputed issues, it's only disputed by the guy who stole it. I mean, (laughs) you know, the bank robber is maintaining that the getaway car wasn't here. Like, I I just it's it's insane. What's disputed about anything here? Well, this is an attempt to slow down the investigation to give them more time to try to regroup and come up with some strategy, because I haven't seen any real legal strategy. And, you know, it'll work for the time being. I, I do think that she's embarrassed herself. And, you know, it's it's. You're right to say she's getting attention. There are certain conservatives that might like it. And so, you know, maybe DeSantis might think about appointing her to a circuit court or, you know, giving her a promotion. But I think when you're so far out there that Republicans and Democrats, and it hasn't just been the left that's been criticizing this decision, you have, you know, I would say conservative, not just moderate um, law professors and also um, um, jurists and legal commentators saying this is this, there's no basis for this. So I have to believe that that's going to come back to haunt her. Certainly, if there is any Democratic control over the Senate, I can't see any confirmation ever. But even with Republican um, members controlling the chamber, that there, 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 I would think there would be a couple of them that are not going to go along with this kind of, you know, she is a Trumpist. Uh, judge. Now, you know, that said, there are a few of them on the Supreme Court, too. So mm-hmm. um, uh, th- that's a problem. But th- this really, I just want to emphasize, is really out there. I mean, there's just no no argument for a former president having anything like the level of executive privilege that she's suggesting could win the day here. And again, he has no executive privilege. He hasn't been. He's not the president. <laughs> yeah. Common sense. This is like a six-year-old could tell you he's not the president anymore. But I, I mean, of I, he's I, pretending he is. I think that's that's the root of his claim. That oh, that's right. I keep forgetting. He really. Yes, he really is the president. <laughs> I keep forgetting that. Yeah. You know, by the way, his lawyers are not arguing in court anything that he's claiming in the press. His lawyers are not arguing that the FBI planted anything there. I mean, it's just there's it's it's like right. stop the steal. Giuliani would say there was fraud for the cameras and then he would say there was no fraud to the judges. It's it's all that, that all yeah. over again. And I, I want to get yeah, off there, this, but we, I do Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, we talked about this last week, but I just want to emphasize it again. They have one case that they're really citing in their favor, which is that Nixon cited executive privilege in his ability to control his own records. But as I pointed out last week, he lost that case. Those records, the phone, the, the tapes that we're all listening to now of Nixon's conversations within the Oval Office were the result of him losing that claim about executive privilege. That's so the right. idea that she'd look at a, a case that went exactly the opposite way and use it as a justification for this is, is bizarre. You sent me a great piece you wrote five years ago for the New York Times. Gorsuch abortion and the concept 
of personhood. Um, you know, it's amazing. Five years old, but still incredibly, <laughs> incredibly relevant. How many of us could have guessed that Lindsey Graham would just ruin things for the Republican Party by coming and saying the quiet part out loud? They keep saying, we just wanted to go to the States. We just wanted to go to the States. And then Lindsey comes out to serve only himself for no one's good but his own. And says, no, I'm, I'm going to pitch a, a nationwide ban after 15 weeks, a nationwide ban, essentially confirming the argument that Republicans only say states' rights when they've been accused of racism. Uh, tell me your thoughts on this. And, and again, the timing. I mean, Republicans yeah. are furious at the guy. Well, I'd say, first of all, it sucks to be right. Five years ago, when Gorsuch's nomination was being considered, uh, you know, I... I had several pieces saying, of course, Roe is dead. You know, once this nomination goes through, this guy is going to be at the forefront of the charge to get rid of Roe. But then my point then, and, and I think you're seeing this really clearly now, is don't believe them when, the, when either the court or Republicans in Congress talk about states' rights, exactly as you said. What they believe is that the fetus is a constitutional person and what that means is that that person is entitled to the same protection against yep. murder laws as everyone else. And Gorsuch actually wrote a dissertation that was basically about that point. It was mostly about the right of uh, the ill to be treated along with the right of the healthy e equally. And it's his way of saying there should be a national ban on assisted suicide, on the right to die. On, on that issue. And then he says also in the footnotes, a very arcane, academic-y, but basically this is the same thing for abortion. That's what he said in his dissertation, and then that became his first book. So this isn't just some weird idea that he had. He, he really has been committed to this from the beginning. Now, you know, there are two ways that this could happen. If the Congress is slow to act, which it might be, the court is getting signals from Lindsey Graham and from activists that they want to see this happen. And I believe one way or the other, on all fronts, presidential candidates, Congress, that there'll be a push for a national ban on abortion. Now, of course, the, the good news in that is the more that the country finds out about that, uh, we're seeing that the country is not okay with getting rid of Roe, and they're certainly That's not right. okay, the population as a whole, with a idea of a national ban on abortion. That will galvanize the progressive movement, I think, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and the mainstream wing of the Democratic Party and the moderate wing of what were the Republicans uh, to yeah. really see this for what it is, which is a, a, an assault by part of this country on our most basic rights. I, I like to follow things through, you know, and follow logic through to its conclusion when it comes to this mm -hmm. particular topic. And if he's actually arguing that the unborn, that fetuses have mm -hmm. the same legal protection as constitutional persons. Yep. Wouldn't then any laws against murder mean that you would have to prosecute mothers who terminate pregnancies or the doctors who help him help them for absolutely, murder? Absolutely. And scream that from the, the rooftops because that's what the country needs to hear. That the implication of the idea that the fetus is a constitutional person entitled to be treated equally when it comes to murder laws means that women have to be prosecuted as murderers. So that means the death penalty in some states. That means um, uh, certainly life imprisonment. Uh, you can't have different treatment for different 
um, the, 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 as they would put it, the murder of different people. And that means that the crimes have to be parallel. And, you know, already the reversal of Roe is unpopular. Imagine how unpopular an idea that would be that women who have abortion should be treated as murderers, life in prison or. or That's how I think it has to be framed, Professor. I think that I mean, if you are seeking because, again, you'll never end abortions. You'll only end the safe, legal, regulated kinds. So they're seeking to criminalize it, which will make women criminals. I I, I think that's the only framing device that uh, Democrats and their allies should use here. Absolutely. Yeah, let's let's scream that again as as often or say it as often as we can. Professor, it's such a pleasure to have you with us every week. What's the best way for our listeners and assorted riffraff to follow you and what you do? Uh, uh, you can uh, read my stuff, including the piece on Gorsuch that we just mentioned on CoreyBrettSchneider.com uh, or follow me on the Twitter at BrettSchneiderC. It's a pleasure, sir. Have a great weekend. We're hitting a break right now. We'll be taking your calls at 866-997-4748. We are just getting wound up. This is Progress After Dark. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugel saying this is SiriusXM Progress. Let's try Marie in Atlanta. Thank you, Marie. Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Norman actually raises a good point, though I'm not sure I would sign up to his methods. It does fall. I appreciate where he's coming from. Yeah, I do. I do as well. It does fall within the definition of human trafficking. Now, rather than going after the bus drivers and their property or the pilots and airplanes, my thought is these governors are essentially accessories after the fact to human trafficking yeah. because they're actually furthering the crime. Yeah, if these I would folks agree. Have been human traffic have been trafficked to the United States and these governors, rather than putting them through the, the sanctuary process or, you know, whatever the processing is, is down at the border or in the border states, rather than doing that, they're actually shipping them elsewhere. They're essentially accessories after the fact. And that's, a legal question, as opposed hmm. to trying to go after the drivers who are yeah. fulfilling the contract or going after yeah. the property, which I, I just I agree with you. That's just a, that's a victim situation. But I will yeah, tell and by you, the way, why, why, I, why I appreciate what he's trying to do is, you know, he's trying to say, hey, let's disincentivize this kind of behavior. The problem is mm-hmm. that's what Stephen Miller tried to do. And Donald Trump with the with the uh, uh, family separation policy, you can try to disincentivize bad behavior. But when you're breaking the law to do it, th- then you're going the wrong way. Exactly. 
Well, when when I heard about the the buses that went up to Chicago, you know, my first thought was, okay, well, what does Texas love? Guns. Lori Lightfoot, please put all of your worst gun criminals and send them somewhere down to Texas. That's exactly what I said in our opening monologue. You know, all these blue states, when you let your violent felons out of jail because they filled their time, why not send Mm -hmm. them to a place that will appreciate their love of firearms and freedom? Yeah, Texas is waiting. Drop them off. (laughs) Exactly. And I'll give you one more real quick one. Oh, isn't it the the worst when you can't be the shitty person, when you have to try to be the decent adult? Oh, it deprives you of so much fun. (laughs) And I have a theory about Lindsey Graham's statement um, saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah. And his party shrinking away, you know, trying to sort of disappear into the bushes. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have a theory about that. Um, Miss Lindsey has himself an invitation to come to Georgia any old time he wants. Because, you know, when a neighbor is kind enough to call and check on your election system, we want to have you come and sit down for a nice, cool glass of tea. (laughs) But (laughs) if he is saying the quiet part out loud, essentially what he's signaling to the Supreme Court, and specifically Justice Roberts, who Mm -hmm. wanted, you know, a more incremental approach, he's signaling, hey, I'm with you. And if his challenge, based on debate and regards to not having or thinking that he's entitled to not come and sit down and meet with our grand jury here in, in right. uh, Fulton County, right? Yeah, I I think what he's trying to do is is court the Supreme Court. He's trying to curry favor with the Supreme Court yeah. and hope that they'll rule to keep him from having to to come under the speech and debate clause. So Fascinating. One, one, one last one last point, Counselor, before the break. Sure. We should refer to what Ron DeSantis is doing as trafficking, correct? That is that yeah. is within our little bounds and it's totally kosher, eh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Okay. Well, then let's feel good about calling out that bad. Thank you so very much. Great to hear from you, Marie. Quick break. When we come back, the great Sarah Posner of The Nation, her new piece. Oh, my God. You've got to read it. It's all about, well, how the U.S. right wing became as awful and right wing as it is and how a few men decided to completely ruin the evangelical movement. And boy, did they. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We are so happy to have you with us. A quick reminder, our town hall hour-long special with Ken Burns for his stunning new documentary, The U.S. and the Holocaust, will premiere here on this program tomorrow night and be replayed multiple times. It's the best appearance Ken has ever made on our show, and this 
this is definitely his best film since the Roosevelt's, if not his best film since baseball. It's just incredible. You do not want to miss it right now. I am so pleased to welcome back one of my favorite writers as somebody who grew up with an ex nun mother and a former Franciscan brother for a father. I learned to be very bewildered by right-wing Christianity in this country, not just by the right-wing Catholics I was around, but of course, the Southern Baptists and uh, how they went from a faith organization to being a mean little clique that even Jimmy Carter would quit. Well, Sarah Posner is a reporting fellow with Type Investigations, and she's covered the Christian right now for over two decades. She's done our show before, and she's the author of the book Unholy, How White Christian Nationalists Powered the Trump presidency and the devastating legacy they left behind her latest investigative piece and you've got to read it it's called the southern baptist conventions deal with the devil uh which appears in the september 2022 edition of the nation magazine what a great pleasure to welcome sarah posner back to the show hello thanks so much for having me again thank you so much for being had before we even dive into it let me just it's been a while since we've had you Uh, how are you how are your loved ones doing how has the covid time been for you sarah Well, I feel very fortunate to have not had COVID um, and uh, everyone in my family and my immediate circle, if they've had COVID, they've recovered from it. So, um, yes, I feel very grateful. Thank you. Uh, This piece is wonderful in a horrific kind of way. The Southern Baptist Convention's deal with the devil. You do the best job of connecting the dots as to how right wing Christianity has gotten where it's gotten. Uh, You know, we all know that somewhere along the line, the pro-segregation, anti-civil rights wing of the Baptist movement morphed over the 70s to keeping people in line by turning it into an anti-abortion movement. But it's so much deeper than that. And you you point out that some people call it the conservative resurgence, whereas a lot of outside the fold call it the fundamentalist takeover. What was it that inspired you to write this piece about the radicalization of the SBC? Well, as you mentioned, the radicalization of the SBC started in the late 1970s and continued through the 1980s. But what really made me, what prompted me to go back and revisit all of this history for this piece was the recent um, explosive uh, report um, that was put out uh, by an organization, by a consulting firm that the Southern Baptist Convention hired uh, to investigate um, sex abuse within the denomination. And that report built on excellent investigative reporting that had been done by the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News, as well as other publications over the years. And it really put into sharp relief how much The Southern Baptist Convention had tolerated, looked the other way, covered up uh, Mm -hmm. rampant sex abuse um, by not just by pastors, but by other church employees. Mm -hmm. And that there were hundreds of survivors, perhaps more, but hundreds documented by this report. And it just very much struck me that this the role that the Southern Baptist Convention has played in trying to enforce gender roles and homophobia and opposition to abortion. And they've played such a prominent role in our politics and particularly in GOP politics. And that the revelations in this um, report really sort of demanded revisiting all of that and putting that into into relief. 
Yeah, now this is the part where I remind our listeners, uh, their agenda has nothing to do with Jesus. And in criticizing the Southern Baptist Convention, we're not criticizing God, Jesus, or the Bible, as their policies uh, are directly in opposition to the teachings of that particular Jewish Nazarene. I, I have to say, and, and, and that's what gets me angry, is always the hypocrisy, right? That these so-called Christians ignore what's actually in their alleged holy book and prioritize things that aren't really mentioned, like abortion or hating gay people. Jesus, not that big on that. But I have to admit, I really didn't know that much about some of the specific characters. I had heard of Paul Pressler before, but I really had no idea what an essential role he played in... Um, downgrading one of the world's three great religions. Who Who is Paul Pressler, and why do we have him to thank for so much? Well, Pressler was, in the 1970s, a state appellate court judge in Texas. Um, he was not a theologian or seminarian or pastor or, you know, or any, you know, a church employee of any kind. Um, and he, along with a friend of his, uh, Paige Patterson, who was a seminarian and a theologian, and still is, um, they hatched this idea together that the Southern Baptist Convention had been overtaken by people who did not truly believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. So they claimed right. to be literal readers of the Bible, enforcers of these fundamentalist view of the Bible. And they were fretting that the Southern Baptist Convention was becoming too too liberal, that people were not were questioning the um the one the the premise that the Bible is one hundred percent true. And he worried about what was happening in seminaries and in churches. So they hatched this plan together to basically run a campaign so that they could install people who shared their view of this question uh, into leadership positions within the denomination and within its seminaries. And they were wildly successful at this. Um, and today, the Southern Baptist Convention does not bear much of a resemblance to the Southern Baptist Convention of the early 1970s. And no, the seminaries are... Um, you know, just as reactionary as the denomination. But what happened alongside that was their um, marriage to the Republican Party. Now, yes. the reason why Pressler's important continues to be important today is that now we know and have known for a, about three and a half or four years now that he has been accused by multiple men of having raped and sexually assaulted him over the same period that he was enforcing this fundamentalist takeover of the denomination. I swear, the more right-wing these fake Christians are, the more depraved they get. And that's not kink-shaming. Um, but, wow, you know, it's, it's amazing. All you have to do is read the first two chapters of the Bible to see that it contradicts itself. Uh, God creates man and woman at the same time in chapter one. God creates man first. Can't find him a mate, eventually takes his rib in chapter two. Like, literally, it takes two chapters of the Bible to realize you can't claim biblical inerrancy. But it sounds like Mr. Pressler wasn't really all that concerned with what's in the scripture. He was interested in consolidating power and, of course, yes. becoming a, a kingmaker. I mean, yes. it, it really, you know, my, my mom, the ex-nun, always said it, it, it made her just her head spin. She was from the South to see the, the Baptists go for Ronald Reagan 
Hollywood Ronald Reagan, who never went to church and signed the most liberal abortion law in California state history, over Jimmy Carter, who was literally a Southern Baptist teacher in Sunday school, wasn't he? Yes. Yes, he was. Um, later, he left the Southern Baptist Convention because of its position on wifely submission, um, yeah. the theological claim that wives need to be submissive to their husbands. Oh, yeah. um, That's St. Paul, by the way. Again, they, they, they love St. Paul. That's who they yeah. follow, not the, uh, not the inconveniently liberal Nazarene. I'm sorry. Go on, Sarah. Right. But I think it's a testament to how this was driven very much by politics, that they were rejecting one of their own for president at the same time that they were purging Southern Baptist leaders who shared the sort of Jimmy Carter view of of Christianity from the denomination. That was the goal. Um, And not all evangelicals are Southern Baptists, of course, but because the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the country, because the Southern Baptist Convention has um, many seminaries and and, uh, educated seminarians and pastors, uh, they play an important role, and that since the since the takeover, they've played a very important role in sort of setting the the standard or setting the theological guidelines and particularly the political positions for the whole of evangelicalism. So, uh, you know, like I said, not all evangelicals are Southern Baptists, but Southern Baptists have led the way in the politicization of evangelical Christianity into the Republican Party. Yeah. They've also led the way, as you point out, in trying to rebuild uh, our very system of law by building law schools that teach their version of biblical inerrancy. Um, we all know about Jerry Falwell's Liberty University, but wow, they, they built quite a few schools to keep on pushing this version of their religion. Well, the, the main ones... The main evangelical law schools are Jerry Falwell's Liberty University, but also um, the Regent University Law School at Pat Roberts Regent University in Virginia Beach. But an interesting uh, little historical tidbit that I stumbled upon uh, when I was working on this piece was that there had been a plan um, in the mid-2000s to build a law school at Louisiana College, which is a Southern Baptist college um, in Shreveport, Louisiana. And they were going to name this law school after Paul Pressler. It was going to be called the Paul Pressler School of Law. And they raised millions of dollars for it. And they got all these prominent people to serve on their you know, board of governors or board of trustees, including people like James Dobson and Ted Cruz who has said he's known uh, Pressler since he was a teenager. Um, and uh, somehow the whole plan after the, all of this groundwork had been laid for it just kind of fell apart and they just never mm. went through with the law school and it was never really clear why. Um, but he, <laughs> well, again, yeah, I you, think that you the fact that they were you... tr- attempting this really shows how uh respected and revered he was in Southern Baptist circles and in evangelical legal circles. Just amazing. I mean, you, you'd point out how it was in 1989 that President Bush Sr.'s uh, religious advisor recommended Pressler to be in uh, the director as the Office, office of Government Ethics yes. uh, because of his tremendous integrity and moral qualities. But then somewhere along the line, there were ethics problems and it was withdrawn. It seems yes. like yet again, they don't really mind the sin when it comes from their own. 
Yeah, I mean, it was never really revealed what it was that was found that was discovered in the background check uh, for him, but the the nomination was withdrawn. Um, but one of the reasons why uh, Bush One's religious advisor Doug Weed pressed him to nominate Pressler for this position was because he wanted to uh, show uh, the evangelical community that they appreciated them and that they wanted to incorporate their values into the way that the president was going to govern. Wow. Now, of course, he had these accusations of sexual violence against men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's his protege, Richard Land, who uh, was hired, as you point out, in 88 to lead the SBC's policy arm, uh, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, as it's known now. He became one of the most prominent evangelicals in the country, and he must have been squeaky clean, right? Well, you know, it's interesting because Land really positioned himself among re- political reporters as the person to call if you wanted to you wanted a quote about what evangelicals thought about anything in politics. And mm-hmm. so he was kind of the go-to guy for a lot of reporters for years and years and years. And then in the wake of um, the murder of Trayvon Martin, he was found to have a plagiarized um, a racist screed by another conservative writer about um, Trayvon Martin and just about the circumstances surrounding um, surrounding his death. And um, and then he was uh, kind of pushed out of that position at the Southern Baptist Convention. And, you know, so he never had any scandals like Pressler come to light, but he was right. not exactly like that was a pretty ignominious end for his career there. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say in reading the article in The Nation, it's it's impressive seeing how much mileage they got out of this issue of abortion, something that the Bible never actually forbids. Uh, but homophobia really gave these guys another powerful springboard, didn't it? I, I, I have to say, I remember when Congress was debating the Matthew Shepard bill, uh, you go pretty deep on it. He was, of course, the gay college student who was tortured to death in in 1998 in Wyoming. Um, What was the SBC's role in the debate for the anti-hate crimes bill named for this unfortunate young man? So they pressed uh, members of Congress and then President George W. Bush to oppose the law. They claimed that the law should be opposed because the Bible condemns homosexuality, they claimed. Mm -hmm. And they also raised the trope that a hate crimes law, an anti-hate crimes law, would punish Christians who are opposed to homosexuality because it would punish their speaking out on homosexuality. And the law did not pass at that time. It did not become law until Barack Obama was president. And at that same time, when they were expressing that view about the Matthew Shepard anti-hate crimes law, um, George W. Bush, who was president, um, sent a video message to the convention thanking to their annual meeting, thanking them for their, you know, their their expression of their faith in the public square. So that was not seen by the Republican president, a president who had relied on evangelical support to become president, um, as as a negative injection of their religious beliefs into a political debate. It was seen as a positive. Amazing. And this is George W. Bush, who 
boasts about how non-homophobic he is. Just incredible. We're, we're talking with the great Sarah Posner. Her essential new piece in The Nation is called The Southern Baptist Convention's Deal with the Devil. I have to say, Sarah, in, in reading all this, I keep thinking about how the Bible never condemns abortion. Jesus never, ever condemns gay people or abortion. Uh, Jesus does condemn divorce. And these same folks really got behind Donald Trump, didn't they? Um, when it when it comes to cherry picking, it's it's deeply impressive. You you would have thought Donald Trump might have been their moral line, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Well, there were a number of very prominent Southern Baptists who supported not only just you know went along because he was the Republican candidate, but actually truly supported um, and got behind Donald Trump's candidacy, and then were major figures during his presidency. Um, one is Robert Jeffress, who um, right. leads a very large um, Dallas megachurch that was a, a, a key a key hub in the uh, conservative resurgence or the fundamentalist takeover. Um, Paige Patterson, who was uh, Pressler's partner in the in becoming you know staging the conservative resurgence, um, was affiliated with it. And even after the sex abuse report came out earlier this spring that showed that Patterson had, when he was the head of a seminary, had counseled uh, students who were rape victims um, not to go to the police and had told women who were um, abused that they should be submissive to their husbands. Um, Even after all of that, uh, he still invited Patterson back to his church to preach on a Sunday morning in May and praised him as one of the great Southern Baptist figures in history. This was, you know, Robert Jeffress, who stood by Donald Trump through every, every twist and turn of his candidacy yep. and presidency, including after the Access Hollywood tape, um, in which Trump admitted to and boasted about sexually assaulting women. And, uh, you know, he told me uh Jeffers told me in an interview uh, during Trump's presidency um, that he was willing to overlook that because at least, you know, like Hillary Clinton, Trump did not support abortion. Mm, yeah, they go to the the King Cyrus argument. Well, he's a horrible person, but God put him there to do good things. Mm-hmm. And then they ignore the deeply unbiblical things he does. I, I'd like to bring it briefly up to the present day. We were covering quite a bit the report, the independent report that came out a few months ago documenting the decades of sexual abuse and cover-ups and uh, the intimidation of the survivors. And Uh I'm curious, what did you discover about the scandal and the reports in your research that surprised you? Well, very little surprises me anymore. Um, But (laughs) it (laughs) was, I think it was the scale, like reading about the scale and scope of the sex abuse, that it was of, you know, adults and children, and that it was well known to the top brass within the denomination. And they were more concerned about their legal liability, about their image, and that there were top people within the denomination who were vilifying survivors and their advocates for distracting the denomination from evangelizing. Right. That it was a satanic plot to distract them from evangelizing. And it was this perverse 
way of like presenting themselves as being virtuous for the sole reason that they evangelize people, right? That 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 was the definition of virtue, such that mm-hmm. addressing this rampant sexual abuse of children and adults was something that they just completely brushed under the rug. They had a database that they never made public or made available to anyone. And they moved people around to different churches, uh, you know, you know, pastors and employees without telling anybody that these people had been abusing people at other churches. And it was just disgusting and astonishing. And now they're under investigation by the Department of Justice. So this is some very serious stuff, not just moral failing, but potential criminal legal liability, too. You spoke with one survivor named Krista Brown, who has a pretty devastating story. And I I wonder if you could just share with our listeners a little bit of what you learned about her experience. Well, she is just an incredible person who has been an advocate for survivors of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention for decades. I mean, she's just tireless. Yeah. And she uh, attended a Southern Baptist church as a child and was raped by someone in a leader in the music ministry when she was like 16 and kept it to herself for years because, of course, a lot of the teaching of the church would blame the victim or, you know, suggest that somehow, you know, she was at fault for this or that, you know, she, she, she's the one who should be ashamed. And she began speaking out against it and approaching leaders within the denomination in 2006. She had been first raped in 1969. And um, she just came up against the brick wall of them just ignoring it, shunting her to the side, brushing it under the rug. And she just stayed with it and kept advocating. And we talked, I talked with her about how she felt to see so many of the leaders in the denomination get in line with Trump and support and hold him, you know, prop him up. And she said it was like the same thing over and over again, like that they didn't care that here was somebody who had been accused by multiple women of sexual assault, had bragged about sexually assaulting women. And she ties it right back to their theology, that women should be submissive to men, that wives should be submissive to their husbands, that anyone who, you know, a woman who would say that she had been raped or sexually assaulted, um, you know, really is the one to blame. So it was, you know, really fascinating to talk with her just because of the long experience she's had with us. Amen. Um, I want to quote you in the piece. You say, in the years since the takeover... The homophobic, transphobic, and patriarchal views cemented in the official Southern Baptist statement have become the gospel of the denomination and its 14 million members, a bellwether for tens of millions of other evangelicals, and the lodestar of the Republican Party, whose leaders have sought the moral imprimatur of popular Southern Baptist leaders. So one would think, okay, in light of the Dobbs verdict, they finally got what they wanted. Uh, Abortion has been banned by the Supreme Court on the federal level. They'll they'll move on to uh, the teachings of Christ, right? Like they got what they wanted, and now they can go worry about helping the poor and welcoming the stranger, right? As you point out, it's anything but the kind. Um, It does seem that the Dobbs ruling has energized right-wing Christianity 
to go after more crackdowns on things they don't like, regardless of how the majority feels. I think that's right. I mean, they, um, you know, as I write at the very beginning of the piece, prominent Southern Baptists are for uh, criminalizing women who have abortions, not just their doctors. Um, They, uh, like uh, many others in the religious right, view uh, Dobbs as uh, a guide for also overturning Obergefell, um, the decision that um, recognized marriage equality across the country. They see Obergefell as kind of their new row that like no matter how long it takes them to overturn it, they will try to incrementally chip away at LGBTQ rights while they aim at ultimately overturning it, just like they've done with Roe. So they rejoiced over Dobbs, but they did not by any stretch of the imagination think that that was a completed project. And I must ask, you had a recent piece called Overturning Roe is the Crowning Achievement of Christian Nationalism. This is a very good time for Christian nationalism, the same kind of Christian nationalism that the other fascist societies have enjoyed. What scares you the most right now, Sarah, as we enter an age where you actually see sitting Congress people boast that they're Christian nationalists because they haven't read the dictionary any more than they've read the Bible? Right. Um, I think the, the scariest thing right now is the courts and the imprint that Trump has left on the courts um, and how the Supreme Court in particular is completely unaccountable to the public is um, making decisions and imposing decisions that are contrary to what the majority of Americans want or believe. And that, you know, the the structural um, asymmetries in our political system, whether it's the Electoral College or gerrymandering or the structure of the Senate, make it frighteningly real that the views of Christian nationalists could be imposed on the rest of us. Um, And, you know, Christian nationalists do not represent the majority of Americans by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But they play an outsized role in the Republican Party and they play an outsized role in our politics. What's next for you? more of the same. They've provided me an endless <laughs> supply of story ideas. Well, I have to thank you for that. I love reading your stuff. You you energize me all the time. And as someone who spends his time railing against fundamentalist Christianity, uh, I, I thank you for articulating the histories and the hypocrisies and the concerns better than I ever could. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you, Sarah, and keep up with all your work? Um, the best way is following me on Twitter. Um, at Sarah Posner. Sarah has an H in it, (laughs) S-A-R-A-H-P-O-S-N-E-R. But that's where I, that's the social media that I use the most. Brilliant. It is so good to have you back on our show. I hope to have you back very, very soon. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening. I'm sorry if we didn't get to your call. We'll be back tomorrow night. Keep it tuned to SiriusXM Progress. Peace. Peace.